Hi, welcome to Hit It and Crit It. I am your DM and host, Corey. To my left, we have Rudy, Jose. How's it going? Joe. Hello. And Robbie. And that's me. This is going to be our first evil campaign on this podcast and our first campaign at all on this podcast. Thank you for joining us for this adventure and welcome. Did you say hobo murder party? I did not say hobo oh, okay. murder just, party. I just wanted not to make quite, sure that was clear. Quite. But murdering of hobos, as long as it's within reason. Uh, so You need an excuse to. Exactly. Maybe we, as long as it's within we reason. Will kill Maybe them. we don't let off the air that we're into murdering hobos <laughs> or being murderous <laughs> yeah. hobos. No, that's not us. That's definitely not so us. So with that brought up, I do want to make it clear for anyone listening and for the rest of this party, in case it wasn't already made clear enough, there will be no frantic hobo murder party. This is mm-hmm. going to be a very serious and very um, very thought out attempt at a villainous adventure. So while we are very clearly on the wrong side of the uh, chaotic spectrum, we will be thinking our actions out completely. Don't you mean best side? Well, I mean, I guess that's all perspective, I mean, really. Side. <laughs> Left side. If someone breathes my air, like there's, there's, there's going to be a problem. No, see, because that's a that's a that's a murder hobo. Okay, and, it's, and that's what <laughs> we're. <laughs> if they're not breathing Corey, anymore. They're no longer ask, doing. Um, when we introduce our characters, can we go this way? You want to go clockwise? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, to let anyone know who Ooh. doesn't know how this works, um, what my role is as the DM or the dungeon master is I'm going to be setting up the world, kind of guiding the adventure along while making sure that everyone's actions are actually heard and proceed as they would in the real world. Um, moving to my left here, we're going to start introducing our characters a little bit. Um, but before we actually get into the introduction of our characters, I do think it is a little important to explain what world we're going into here. And I think it is important to point out to any experienced uh, D&D players out there that this world is a non-canonical world. Um, It is all original content created by me. Uh, I do hope you enjoy it. Um, But with that being said, um, the forces may have shifted a little bit than what you recall in your current uh, edition that you are playing, as well as the fact that the pantheon of gods, patrons, deities, and infernal slash abyssal lords have changed as well. Uh, The world that we are being introduced in as well is a world of my creation called Kata. Um, It is dotted with several continents as well as a large landmass known as the Cataclade, where no one dares tread. Um, With that being said, um, if anyone has any thoughts about this world, you're welcome to share them. Just please remember that none of this is canonical in the Dungeons & Dragons uh, OG universe. Um, so to explain this world a little bit, where we're going into, um, the land of Kata has many different uh, continents, uh, many different lands, factions, kingdoms, and empires of the likes, um, all of which function a little bit differently, all of which are a little different in technology. Um, not everyone's up to speed with the same people, but it's all very relatively the same. Um, this group of players that um, we are currently playing with now have been in this world already for about a year um they've experienced the continent of isla but here we are actually going to be taking place of the adventure on the continent of gothica gothica is in the uh northeasternmost hemisphere of the world of kata 
uh, and is in between uh, the cataclades and the divine aristocracy of Orlais in the center of the drawn-out map. Um, with that being said, they have a lot of access to the cataclades and have a lot of access to the trade of Orlais, the accepted world superpower, um, So, which makes them actually most seen as the uh, essentially the number two superpower in the world. Um, with that being said, it, they've been at peace with Orlais for quite some time. That all started to boil over once uh, Orlais, or the uh, divine aristocracy, as Gothica likes to kind of underhandedly call them, that all changed when Gothica began doing some strange mining activities over in the Cataclades. The Cataclades being a place of great evil, uh, great chaos. Um, the land is made of what appears to be um, blue and black igneous rock. The trees there have bark made of onyx and leaves made of glowing gemstones that seem to attract the most vile of creatures, liches, shadowfell dragons of the sort. All of them flock to the cataclades, trying to collect its corrupted power. It's magic in its most chaotic and unstable form. And that makes a lot of the more civilized world afraid, naturally. So, once Gothica began doing some strange mining activities there, sending over fleets upon fleets of ships with tons, literal metric tons of equipment to carry out God knows what they were doing in, from those mines, the divine aristocracy saw it fit to take a step into the action. At first, it started with a peaceful, let us into your minds, let us see what you're doing. We want to see ledgers. We want to speak to you on a political basis to understand what business you have in these lands that no one dares to go except fools and the undead. The Gothican king Ulrich responded with a more diplomatic middle finger, um, essentially a parchment of uh, a few sentences stating, our affairs are none of the divine aristocracy's business. And that was that. Now, the empress is a proud woman, and she does not take kindly to being addressed in that tone. When, brought it, uh, when the matter was brought up again, they were met with silence. When they began to send their own fleets over and began to try to investigate the mines uh, firsthand, they were responded to with drawn swords and readied arrows. With that, the 11-year war began. The divine aristocracy took a pull from the rest of the world and made it clear of what their intentions were going to be. Anyone that sided with Gothica was to be deemed a traitor in their eyes and was to be met with immediate force. The divine aristocracy being of a higher technological level and having just discovered gunpowder was a force to be reckoned with from the rest of the world. So the rest of the world decided to nod its head, cover their eyes and ears, and stay out of this manner. Gothica was left to its own devices and began to defend itself from the oncoming golden, golden vessels from across the sea.
bunch of jerks. <laughs> More or less. So they, a lot of people have their own uh, their own viewpoints on what on the war and it's the reasons why it was being fought, uh, especially especially the Gothic and nobles. Uh, and the Gothic and peasantries. Pretty much any resident in Gothica was incredibly terrified. The divine aristocracy was coming over in waves of ships to destroy their lands, destroy their infrastructures, and quite frankly, ruin everything they have ever come to know. And for reasons that they weren't entirely sure of themselves, um, for stuff that was in a continent well away from theirs, and they had absolutely no say in it. King Ulrich uh, raised the banner of war and began to defend his homestead and his mining operations in the Cataclades. This war progressed for 11 years, and while that is a feat in itself for Gothica to last that long against the divine aristocracy, it was a losing battle from day one. Their ports were blockaded, a trade embargo was placed on the rest of the world, so Gothica had no outward trade or infrastructure, and they began to lose all hope of even funding this war. Yet the king continued to de- protect whatever was happening in the Cataclades. As the war came to the 11th year, the king fell within his own home under the blade of a Raven Rock assassin. It is unknown if the divine aristocracy sent the assassin himself. It is unknown uh, of the details of the assassination or the death of the king. However, as the king perished, the Lord Regent of Gothica took control of the throne and ordered an immediate surrender. With the Gothican surrendered, their entire country nearly raised their infrastructure blockaded and cut off and whatever revenue coming from these strange mining activities in the cataclade ceased a great depression fell over the continent the divine aristocracy put up an occupation on their land mostly based upon the ports and the surrounding shoreline of gothica and held up the embargo placed on other countries until the king's heir, a princess who has no name to her peasants, came of age and was able to take the throne. That was about two years ago as this campaign starts. The blockade and embargo is still underway. The princess is still growing into her position to take the throne. And you all have suffered in your own right, as you will soon explain, due to the divine aristocracy as well as the Gothican stubbornness as well. That's not exactly to say that you are one of the many rebels that grew up under the oppression of the aristocracy and the Gothican impudence and ignorance. The reason you are brought here is because you were all given a very once-in-a-lifetime opportunity from a group that the entire world thought was dead for quite a few millennia, the Noctis Occulta, a group of strange, silent individuals that seem to go around and collect the world's most dangerous artifacts, things that should never be touched by a mortal man, not the Book of Vile Darkness, not the amulet of ultimate evil, 
Not the eye of the one under the sun, Osmodius. You said, you said it. You said it. Uh, dude, you said the name. <laughs> you you can't said say it. the name. <laughs> you better roll. Let that be a first inclination of the blight that is to fall upon this land. Now, as you ready yourselves to enter this world, mm-hmm. uh, we will go around the table and let the characters introduce themselves. Uh, the people that will soon take upon the blight that the Gothican lands have incurred upon themselves from the 11 year war and we will take any questions or any concerns about the campaign from there so we'll start from our left and go counterclockwise here oh. uh i was gonna say really quick do you want to go over the structure of the noctis occulta like the people are you, in charge? Are, are you talking about the people in charge? Yeah. Yes. Oh, sure. Sure. Fair. Fair enough. Um. So what we'll do is uh, we'll talk about the uh, leader and his two strange constituents that seem to hold the most control over the Noctis Occulta. That being said, uh, the Noctis Occulta gets its name actually from the leader himself, Lord Noctis, a man that has been alive for perhaps a thousand years of as you have come to hear uh he is a man that with no face that being said no one has any background to him they have no means of understanding his identity other than his name and what he chooses to go by is lord noctus they understand that he is a very powerful person uh he is only ever seen in his full plate mail of which is adorned with what appear to be silver runic scriptures and an unknown language, even unbeknownst to those most skilled of historians. His face is always concealed by the full plate guard and seems to only have visible eyelets of six, uh, essentially uh, drilled out holes in the plate mask um, for his eyes to see through. You understand that he has been uh, essentially, essentially, casted in a monstrous light, um, especially for uh, the mangled mess of hair that comes out the back of the helmet, of which all seems to be uh, completely silver, not grayed, uh, not white, but actual silver hair, of which seems to be completely mangled, damaged, and rough to the touch. It scales completely down to the small of his back and always seems to actually have a somewhat gleam to it as he passes by. He is the revered and undisputed leader of the occulta itself and seems to be the, of course, the longest living member and as well the most powerful in terms of politics, connections, and strength itself. Just under him is the Lord Recruiter, as he is dubbed, uh, Pelagios. He's a very intimidating man in in his own right, um, with a very similar sinister-looking plate armor um, fashioned in the sense of the top head being a completely well-crafted black skull. Um, The chain mesh covering his eyes also hides his identity. Um, However, it doesn't seem that he is as mysterious as some of the other people would have Noctis come off. Um, He is the Lord Recruiter for um, the Noctis Occulta, which means anyone that any members believe would be a good fit into the Occulta or anyone who has come to discover of the Occulta themselves, he has essentially final say on whether they are allowed into 
the secret society or if they are executed. Just under him, not necessarily in rank, but in reverence within the guild itself is Soth or Lord Soth, as some people have uh, actually began to dub him in reverence to the death knight of ages past. Soth is a chilling member in his own. Um, He never speaks. He's a completely mute individual, but many people have accepted the fact that whatever Soth is, it is not it does not share the same life that mortals share. And it does not come from the same birthplace that mortals come from. Whatever Soth is, he is of the deep. He is of the darkness. He is a man tattered in lanky black feathers covering the entirety of his rusted slim armor. His mask is that of much like a plague doctor's only completely battle readied uh, a entire chrome mask that only sends chills down those who uh, dare to look upon it. His fingers aren't exactly fingers, but more so lanky, lanky claw like appendages that seem to be able to just bear the weight of his bastard sword that hangs off of his back. Wherever he goes, there is a rusted uh, clank of metal that follows, and those who have the unpleasure of hearing it can sometimes hear his cry at night, of which sounds like a horrid, raspy, death-filled cry of a raven. Now, these are the people that are pretty much in charge of the occulta. Um, Noctis, of course, being the figurehead and the final say on anything Pelagios doing a lot of the face-to-face work with any group members and Soth being the person that makes sure no one steps out of line. No one dares test the authority of the occulta and any enemy that the occulta may come across never sees the light of the sun again. Not that Gothica gets to see the light of the sun uh, under all this dark and depression that it is currently under, but the uh, phrase still holds for the occulta. Are there any other questions about the occulta before we get started? Uh, I think I think I'm good. I, I think, think we're all good. I think that was that was beautifully clear. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, then, if there if there's no other really? uh, <laughs> if there's no other questions uh, yeah. that come from uh, any. Any further information for the occulta, we'll get started with the character introductions then. Uh, going to the left here, we're doing counterclockwise. Uh, I really want to go with Robbie's first because honestly, his was really good. Oh, well, I, I, I agree. Oh, thank you. We'll get there eventually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. We'll, so, we'll end it on, on a high note. <laughs> Rudy, uh, what uh, what's the deal with our first adventurer? Uh, hello, my name is Rudy and the character that I will be playing is... Uh, Mordecai Watts. But Mordecai Watts uh, basically just started off as a poor kid from a different part of the world entirely. Please um, speak into the mic. So, oh. Yeah, you gotta Sorry. be here. Sorry, I'm just... Here. This is so weird and different. You're good, you're good. But anyways, Mordecai was just a poor kid, grew up in an entirely different part of the world, but he tested well and got into a pretty elite school. <laughs> Shut up, Joe. I don't know what you're laughing about. Please, but. please, come on. Well, yeah, no, 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 sorry, sorry. <laughs> Okay, um, but he tested well and ended up uh, landing a 
position in a school in Orlais, mostly meant for nobles, but he never totally fit in. He always had his head buried into a book rather than sort of just slacking off like the rest of his uh, noble classmates who were just kind of writing off the trust funds and uh, inheritance of their parents and whatnot. But one day there was a group of kids that sort of just decided, hey, we don't really like this kid very much. He's always... (laughs) He's always got his head in a book and he's making the rest of us look pretty bad. So they decided that they were going to try and show him a lesson. And they took him over to a secluded part of their school and kind of decided to uh, just break his knee beyond all repair. And that's why to this day he walks with a cane. Um, Seeing the kind of just like the crap and corruption that uh, nobles really give off and everything that they do... Mordecai decided that he was going to, you know, he was going to try and get to the top, and he did so via extortion and blackmail. Um, so that's just entirely how he got to this point. And whether it, uh, whether it's something small like blackmailing somebody with just general information about like bad business dealings or um, strapping bombs to the person's children and they didn't comply to things, um, he would find a way to make sure that. Everybody and anybody that he could would be in his pocket. As one does. It's <laughs> <laughs> beautiful. Um, there was one time where he actually tracked down the kids uh, that beat his or broke his knee in the first place and uh, brought them over to the part of the school that he had his knee broken in. Um, having hired somebody to tie them all up, he finally got his hands dirty for the first time um, and just went at them with a ornate dagger built into his cane that he currently still walks with. Other than that general background, should I just talk about how he got into the Noctis Occulta? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Any any background on this character whatsoever, please feel free to include. Sure. Oh, he also has an intellectual rival by the name of Jeremichael Rathbone. Shut up, Joe. I don't... I, I didn't say anything. There's a lot of hate. I'm sitting here. <laughs> just, 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 I don't just know. Just character. I, I just character. Character. Pardon. Um, but yes, his uh, intellectual rival, he's sort of like a, de- like a high-end detective... Um, kind of tries to hunt down Mordecai and try and put an end to all of his blackmail, his extortion and everything like that. Um, but Mordecai always ends up being one step ahead in uh, Detective Rathbone. I'm just going to call him, never really uh, gets there. But one day, uh, Mordecai kind of came across a business dealing of sorts with the uh, recruiter Pel- Pelagios, I believe you. Okay, just making sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. Pelagio. Pelagios, okay. And he said, hey... This would probably be a good guy to have in my back pocket. I'm going to blackmail him. But then Pelagios hit harder and was like, ha no, I'm going to blackmail you. This is everything that we know about you. If you don't comply with us, we're going to have, uh, we're just going to send all this information that we have to your rival. And I was kind of just like, oh, snap. I've, I, I've like built up way too much. I'm not going to lose everything over this guy. He so was basically like, oh, you thought. <laughs> <laughs> pretty much but yes um but that's my guy what do, real quick before we move on what does mordecai look like um i i do have a picture oh um, go for it please explain it for yeah, yeah. Really uh, yeah. right i meant for you guys i was just gonna show it but mordecai um he's like late 20s black hair sort of uh noble garb i don't, I don't really know how better or how to really explain he looks him. like a majestic he looks like a planeswalker I don't know. From Magic the Gathering. Yeah. Like, that's what he would look like. It's probably where I got the photo for him. It's beautiful. No, it's a really yeah. cool photo. Um, Corey, if you'd like to describe him, I you have a very descriptive <laughs> tone. 
<laughs> um, sure. So uh, essentially what Mordecai appears as is a black-haired, handsome young man uh, of a paler skin. Uh, he does regard himself so in, a, uh, in a more aristocratic manner with his clothing, um, often being seen in more lavish, uh, divine aristocracy robes and uh, underdressings as well. Um, he does have an intimidating yet sophisticated vibe coming off of him. See, look at this guy. Corey is just Corey amazing. That. Like, yeah, Corey, can we just do a podcast where you describe things, things like just regular things? Corey needs an ASMR channel. Like, you, you, yeah, you can walk into my kitchen and describe the horror scene that's in there. It'd be great. Like, I, I feel like that's no the entire what. premise for Noxus Occulta. Yeah. Joe's kitchen. <laughs> exactly. That's where he got the uh, the idea from. The setting is a deep, dark place. <laughs> it seems abandoned. <laughs> let's uh, let, let's move on with the uh, with the uh, characters a little bit here. Uh, going to the left the uh, uh, of Rudy here, we'll go with Jose's character. So um, my character's name is uh, Giram. Uh, what what not to say about him? Really, uh, he's a dark elf cleric. Uh, he was born actually in the divine aristocracy to. <laughs> he was born to a high elf, but his mother was a high elf. His father was a dark elf. He really does not know much about them, but um, this is all he knows about his upbringing. All he knows about before, you know, today. Uh, his mother was growing up. She was the middle child of a very, want to say, noble fam, noble high elf family from a village in the divine aristocracy. Usually she would act out just to get attention from her parents, you know, get the attention from the people around her because nobody really paid attention to her. Um, one day, uh, a man came from the woods, a dark elf, came to their town to trade with them, see if he can get any advances. Uh, so she figured, what's the greatest way to piss off my, her parents? You know, she slept with him. Her being young, she didn't know the repercussions of unprotected intercourse really uh and got pregnant her father she never really told her parents who she was impregnated by um so you know her parents were you know taking care of her making sure she had all the greatest food and all of the land make baby makes basically making sure the baby would come out as a strong strong baby so the day that i that giram was born they figured out he was a dark elf so they gave her a couple options. They gave her, they told her, either you can be executed with the with the child, you can be casted out in exile, or we can get rid of the baby. So from the moment I was born, never my mother never held me. I was it was always a wet nurse that was taking care of me, nursing me. So the father put out to the entire land that they're willing to give away a child to anybody who wants one. They didn't hear back because obviously nobody really wants anything to do with a dark elf. So one day, a group of, group of men dressed as um, priests, they, uh, they came with a, a large amount, large, large amount of gold to pay for this child. The father didn't really care. He said, I don't really care if you want to pay me. We want to get rid of this child. But... Out of respect, they still paid the man, took the child. Little did they know those priests weren't your typical priest. 
they were followers of the temple of Orcus. And the temple is actually located in Gothica. Orcus, is, as you may or may not know, is not an accepted religion. So it deals with a lot of sacrifices to the infernal lord of the undead. Am I correct, Corey? Yeah, death, of death itself. Yeah. Death, yeah. So growing up, they really took me in, you know, gave me everything I needed, fed me a room to sleep in. But that what came with that was doing all the dirty work for the temple, whether it be uh, life sacrifices, and not your typical sacrifices like chickens, pigs, it'd be live people. You know, they really taught me how to defend myself, how to use magic. It basically was just, if somebody were to come into the temple, I would be the one to take care of it. I would be the one to lure people here and to dispose of the bodies. You know, growing you know, growing up in that life, I felt like I was, there was something more I can do for Orcus, you know? And I would pray to Orcus every night. Orcus would, you know, I'd feel his presence, you know? Or I at least feel like I feel his presence. One night after doing a large, large sacrifice of about 20 people, um, I prayed to Orcus, asked him to give me a sign of what I can do. Nothing happened. Uh, I went to sleep, and then next thing you know, next thing you know, I hear a screech in my room. So not even thinking, I just immediately cast out my shadow blade, opened my eyes, and sure enough, there was Soth, one of the main people from the Noctis Occulta. And before I could even react, he swooped me up and took me to the, the hideout of Noctis Occulta. He dropped me right in front of Pelagio and Noctis, me being in my undergarments, my underwear, undershirt, covered. You know, this is a, a dark elf, you know, about as, as tall as a dark elf can be. Slim, athletic build, um, pale body, tattoos from all the way up to the top, like to the neck, long black hair. Uh, I was really expecting the Noctis Occulta to really not accept me. But Pelagios said so himself. Well, if Soth didn't kill you, we can probably use you. So sure enough, that's how I got into the Noctis Occulta. Because usually Soth would kill anybody. That's a that's a fair uh, fair and very correct assumption. Uh, that's about it for Giram. All right. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, as we go around here, uh, is there any questions at all about? Any of the characters' upbringings? No, seems solid. No, so far so good. I okay, think. yeah. Um, going further to the left here, then uh, we'll go with Joe. Hi, uh, I'm Joe. I'll be playing Sizet Mushik. Uh, before we get started, though, Corey, can you go over? Um, so my character will be a paladin, a paladin of Roth. Um, so Corey, if you want to talk a little bit more about that deity and what he represents. Of course. So Roth is a pantheon of my own. Um, forgive me if anyone else has something similar or if there's any other uh, scriptures I know about. To my own knowledge, Roth is my own primordial. Primordial being of destruction and chaos himself. Roth has been stated to uh, appear on the material plane in times of great conflict between sides that had the potential 
to destroy entire continents or the entire material plane itself. Roth is seen to be, well, never seen to be in his full might, usually only ever seen as a torso connected to a horn, jagged, magma-like head. Uh, Roth is also known to be able to sweep entire continents into the depths of the ocean by simply resting his arm upon them. That is awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's a sick and uh, what's his sigil, or what would it look like? So Roth's sigil is it, it's it's kind of basic for uh, for uh, actual a primordial being of his stature. Roth is essentially uh, an infernal W um, placed upon uh, or put in a kind of ignite carved manner um, with a single uh, dot rising over the W and a circle encompassing it. Um, before you go, I forgot to mention about Giram. The tattoos he has about himself, uh, the tattoos he has on himself are have to do a lot with Orcus. Uh, one big one especially is the giant uh, symbol that goes from Basically, the collarbone to like the middle of the neck of Orcus. All right. So We're, you definitely don't walk around shirtless, right? <laughs> oh, oh, definitely not. No. His his actual clothing looks like what a a priest would look like today, mainly to cover up his tattoos. All right. Cool. Cool. All right. Um. So once again, I'm Joe. I'll be playing uh, Sizat Mushik. Um. Sizat's about twenty nine. He's a little bit older. Um, starting to go uh, black hair that he pulls back in a ponytail most of the time, starting to go gray, uh, with age and just with some of his life experience. I they get it right. Um, uh, I'm not starting to go gray because I'm still young. Um, <clears throat> so you say? Huh. So uh, Suzette uh grew up in Gothica. Um, eventually he married uh his wife Claudia. Uh, they had a daughter Marie. About Six-ish years into the uh, what would now be called the 11-year war, he was conscripted to fight against the divine aristocracy, which is a, a war that he had a lot of belief in. You know, loves his home, loves his family, really just wanted to get out there and protect everyone. Um, his farm and his home were actually very close to some of the frontline battles, so that was also something that really spurred him on to uh, be there and really really put his heart and soul into what he was doing. Um, about a year into the fighting, he got word that the, that the war had moved uh, even closer to the, the area that his family was from. Um, by the time this information got to the, him, though, it was much too late. He arrived home with a small unit that had been sent there to find everything completely burned, like nothing. Nothing could grow. There was nothing left. Um, nothing of his family, of his farm, of his home. Um, and that really did a number on him. Uh, afterwards, he th didn't exit the war, even though he was given an opportunity to. And in fact, he threw himself into the war. Um, always, always send me out. I want to be the next one. I want to be on the front lines. No rest, constantly fighting. Um, outside of battle, very, very quiet didn't speak, basically just waited to be sent out again. And even during the battle, instead of a fire, there was kind of an emptiness. 
He'd cut down one man, he'd move on to the next. And that was it. He hated the divine aristocracy and that ate what was left of him. A small group of warriors noticed um, his hatred and his growing skill. And they approached him and asked that he join their uh, secretive group. They didn't really advertise who they were. Um, they're holy knights of the Order of Roth. Um, and this appealed to Suzette. And he decided that, you know, his, his country had weakened. The divine aristocracy was pretty much the worst thing in the world. And that why not do everything he could, could to wipe them off the face of the earth? Given the power to just rest his hand down and push them into the ocean, he would gladly do so. So he joined, and they fought, and they fought well, and they died, until only a few remained. After that, towards the end of the war, they were sent to retrieve an artifact that may help their effort. Um, of the four left that went to this, they had to go into the Cataclades, only two actually made it to the labyrinth where this artifact was held, Suzette and Jean Delfino. During the trek into the labyrinth, Jean lost his mind and abandoned Suzette to death. Suzette crawled out of the cave a few days later with the artifact in hand, starving and near death. And when he looked up, there was Pelagius. So yeah. Terrific. That right. was, I have to say, I was so excited for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, so was I. Joe, I, I know you're a writer and I was telling them before we got here, I was so excited mm -hmm. to hear that. Thank yeah. you. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm a writer. Um, we didn't talk about this, but I think it's important uh, kind of how we got into D&D. &D. Um, I played a little bit in college. Corey is my, was my roommate, um, and we were just kind of goofing around one day. We decided, hey, let's do D&D, &D. and then that's really how we got into it. But um, yeah, the character cre I create way more characters than I will yeah. ever use. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Character <laughs> yeah, like we have an app, and I have like probably like a dozen characters, but we only have like four campaigns going on. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love it. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you again for the, for the introduction to your character. Does anyone have any further questions for his character? Uh, it's, I have a question because um, I know Giram has, uh, uh, I wouldn't say a weakness, but a flaw kind of. What would um, Suzette's flaw be? So oh. it's not really something he uh, shows or talks about um, just because he doesn't really show much emotion um, just because of what's happened. Honestly, most of the stuff we talked about, your characters wouldn't know about. You wouldn't know about his family. Um, really all you know f from him is that he's ex-Gothican military and that uh, obviously at some point he joined a holy order of knights. Um, but his flaw would be, I guess, twofold. Um, his hatred of the divine aristocracy, while not blinding, is in some ways insurmountable. Yeah, <laughs> not even apparent. It's just something that like, it's like one of the only things that really drives him. And I'd say like even now being a part of the Noctis Occulta, that's just something to do to kind of get to the divine aristocracy. Okay. Um, and so you'll his, see more of that. His character is based off of hatred. Um, and that's, uh, and and I it's, would, yeah, it's like a hatred, but it's not like the, the, the white hot hatred that you see. It's right. a very cold kind of empty hatred. Almost like a cunning, like it's not even cunning. It's just like, this is the, this is the only thing he knows uh -huh. now. Like his family's gone. His home might as well be gone because they've rolled over. Mm -hmm. Um, oh, right. I forgot to mention during the time where he was gone in the cataclades, that's when the king died. So he didn't even get word of it until after he met Pelagius. And then he was just like, well, my country is screwed. 
you know, they were kind of cowardly before, but I fought for my friends and my family. And now really all I have left is this hatred. Um, the other thing is something he doesn't talk about, but his family is kind of like the big red button. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not something he talks about. So it's not really a weapon that he hands to other people. Don't touch it. Yeah. Well, it's it's more like hidden. Like the button is somewhere else. You have to trek mm-hmm. far into that building yeah. to find that button. Okay. Um, um, one thing he does carry though, that most people wouldn't notice, and uh, there's like a little kind of bag kind of looks like a gold bag but instead of gold it's just ash that's pocket ash no it's yeah i think i think rudy got it it's the the ash from his home Mm -hmm. yeah i figured i figured yeah his family's pretty baller um yeah uh, quick before you go i have a question um rudy what what was your your character's flaw i mean i'll I'll say mine after but I i forgot thank you for bringing that up i was just actually about to say um uh mordecai is a very intellectual he's a intellectual narcissist he enjoys being the smartest person in the room if he ever feels like there's somebody in the room that is like 100 percent smarter than him he will feel threatened and sometimes he will try and establish his superiority um but if he feels like it's, he's in a room full of dunces he'll be like this is whatever hmm. um i would definitely say giram's flaw would be probably that uh he in his mind, he believes that the the lifestyle he was brought into, that he was brought up in, was not in any way a bad one. He feels like the the temple of Orcus saved his life, and pretty much like the, he doesn't see it as a dark backstory. Yeah, he doesn't see like really what he does is for evil. He really mm-hmm. sees it as I am saving you. Yeah, please uh-huh. accept yourself. Let. Orcus accept you. So he's like every person in a cult ever? Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. He's he's basically... Joe and I talked about this. It's basically like kind of like Ebony Maw (laughs) from from Marvel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Where he's the the voice and the speaker and until you, you know, piss him off. And it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, cool. All right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. No, I'm I'm happy to go through everything. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Hi, I'm Robbie. Um, let me just pull up my character. Are, real are quick. you gonna like read it the way you wrote it? Yeah, because I, I really like so. that. All right, cool. okay. Yeah. I'll that stop talking now. I, I, I felt I, I was actually gonna feel bad for reading it straight up, and now that everyone's excited about it, okay, yeah. So preemptively, uh, yeah, my name is Alder Hood. Um, and yeah, it's great. So kind of just to kind of set a mood, um, because it's not quite a straight up backstory. It's more of a a scene, I guess. Um, so you're picturing a man uh, at a bar. It's it's a very, very empty bar. Quiet, shady. Alder uh, is about 23 years old. He himself is not sure. But he probably looks like he's resting at like 40. Um, the grimace on his face. You look at his hands. His body is scarred. Um, not from battle but from running through trees and crawling through thorns and things like that. So it, it's it's not dark, deep battle scars. It's just... Like lived-in scars. Exactly, like, yeah. He's been it's alive. just, yeah. He's, he's lived in the forest for the majority of his life. It, yeah, it's it's very worn in. Like basically anything that could happen in the forest, he's seen it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Who's the, the kid from the Jungle Book? Mowgli. Mowgli, yeah. So that's what Mowgli should look like. Exactly, yeah. Uh-huh. Like 23 years old, but he looks like 40 beaten in. Um, so yeah, I'm just going to read this. Uh, but yeah, kind of picture. Sunken Man, um, he has dreaded hair. Um, 
not for style. He did not do it himself. It's just he's never bothered to. His hair is an absolute mess. Um, very, very sunken face. Um, and uh, he, is, he is human, um, about 6'4", fairly, fairly tall, um, slender, but his arms are massively built uh, compared to the rest of his body. Um, so this is him talking to the man next to him at a bar. My story? Well, it's hard to tell to begin, really. My kin? Well, my father was the greatest shot there was, greatest to ever been seen. My mother was a saint, nearly a nun, really. She healed people. They said she had the magic touch. <laughs> that makes me laugh now. She was taken when I was very young. Me and my father were out hunting. When we came back, the town cried of slavers and men with great arms. Several others were missing from the church as well. But the town also seemed significantly more prosperous after. We heard tell that my mother was sold for her, for her gifts. My father never trusted another soul again, and we left at night. He laid me out in a field to sleep, and I awoke, and my father told me he loved me and that we had to go. He didn't say much after that. We lived off the land. He taught me many things. He was a cold man, and his teachings were harsh. But we learned many things from the trees and the mushrooms, how we slay the largest beasts and track the smallest prey. There was good money in hunting magical creatures. You just needed to know who to sell them to. My father taught me everything he knew. I became... I became nearly as good as a shot as he was. A sure shot, he would say. He did finally catch the curse of my family, and he grew mad, and began beating me and himself. My mother never left his mind. He hated people, and I had even seen him take wild shots at hunters we approached in the woods. He swore to me to only trust liars, because they're the only ones who were, who were truthful. It took me a long time to understand that, but it was the last thing he ever said to me before he disappeared. Went out when I was sleeping and never returned. But every average Joe has that story. That's not why I was chosen. Not by a long shot. A year later, I finally found out what happened to my father. Son of a bitch climbed a church and slaughtered half a village during a festival just a few months ago. Someone finally shot him down, but the damage was done. I even heard they buried him with a smile on his face. I always wondered how he could do it. Until I took up a job to watch over a farmer's sheep. Bunch of his flock was going missing, and he reckoned wolves. But out there in the dark, by myself, I saw a figure hop a fence and scoop up a sheep. And I let an arrow fly. Just like that. Like it was any deer, bird, or beast. When I went up to claim my prize, it was a kid. Maybe 15 or 16. I waited for myself to freak out, but nothing. I felt nothing. I scooped the kid up and left town. Took a couple sheep with me for good measure dumped the kid in a river, and moved on. Off that, I learned that there was even more money in killing people than killing the rarest of magical beasts, and it wasn't nearly as dangerous. So here I am, son of the bow behind the Stillwater slaughter, and heir of the first female battle healer under Sick Barracks Army. Now you probably are scared and wondering why I'm telling you this, but don't worry, I ain't gonna kill you. <laughs> if I wanted you dead, you would have heard the hum of an arrow about an hour ago. And to answer your next question... 13. I slid the shot away that he had handed me, popped a mushroom in my mouth, and walked away. So off of that, um, we're going to go into kind of where I am now and how the occulta um, drafted me in. 
as far as the law goes, um, I'm guilty for mul- multiple tro- poaching and illegal game vi- game violations. Um, I'm a half known bounty hunter, um, but under the hit uh, under the table, kind of in the streets, um, I'm a hitman and an illegal uh, goods dealer. So once I kind of fled from my town, moved on, uh, I went into Gothica and created uh, my own gang called the Green Hood Gang um, outside into the forest. We live off the land. Um, I do most of my arms dealing outside the Men of the Black Cloth, who are part of the Saints of the Gothic Robe. Um, And that's just one of the church's branches um, off the Occulta. So yeah, that's where I do all of my arms dealing. That's where I do all my legal stuff uh, is through there. So kind of well-known as far as the law goes and kind of well-known as far as like uh, the outlaws go. Uh, So the occulter were like, this guy's kind of in the way. He's got a gang. He knows way too many people. And they just kind of leisurely sent an assassin for me, an assassin outside of one of the groups that I'm part of. Um, So instead, he came back to the occulta and was like, hey, this guy that you had me go kill, he's already part of this group. Um, it'd be way easier to recruit him than just kill him. Um, and Corey, could you kind of finish that for me, please? So as he was sent to this task and was eventually informed of exactly who he was hunting and having his words with the occulta, there were talks of essentially changing the job. He went out to meet uh, this former ally of his, and rather than riddle his back with arrows, he instead offered him a place at their new home. Unbeknownst uh, to Alder's knowledge, his former accomplices and uh, former gang members were actually absolved into the Noctis Occulta since they were able to further expand their ranks under the tumultuous chaos that other that underwent Gothica. And as he arrives, of course, his head bagged until they heard his answer. Um, he arrived to Pelagius, who, while his face, of course, was obscured by that infamous black skull mask, could tell was pleased to see the man brought before him. It was at that moment that he was offered a place into the Noctis Occulta family. And of course, Alder had no choice but to accept. Yeah. So so that's that's Alder. It's like accept. <clears throat> yeah. Or die. Yeah. <laughs> it, there really wasn't a choice. Uh, I keep adding things, but I keep forgetting. <laughs> I keep forgetting. We to, did it, guys. We did it. <laughs> I, keep, I, kept, I keep forgetting to like, I never wrote it down, Go but ahead. I forgot. So basically, Giram, as soon as Soth picked him up, rather than Usually, anybody grabs a hold of Giram, hold hold of Giram, he'll fight back. But basically, growing up in a temple of uh, Orcus, uh, which is the the infernal sorry infernal lord of the dead, mm-hmm. kind of felt who he was dealing with. You know, kind of felt like Soth it was. Uh, you know, doesn't know much about him, but he knows. He's not somebody to mess with, but he's rather than feeling like, oh, I shouldn't be around this guy, more like I should become he was what like his drawn presence. to him. Yeah he, yeah, he was drawn to Soth. Basically, I should become something 
like this man mm-hmm. or thing. Soth is like we a, don't know who a that security is. blanket for uh, Gira. <laughs> oh, pretty like, much. It's, yeah. it's comfort. It's home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, Go oh. ahead. I'm done. No, I was just going to ask. We talked about our flaws. Robbie, did you have a... Uh, sorry. Yeah, no. Yeah. No, you're fine. Yeah, absolutely. Um. So yeah, Alder is... Uh, I mean... He's kind of got the pros and cons, as most people do, as far as flaws go. He's not, like, a ruthless killer. Like, he doesn't get pleasure out of it. He's not, like, bloodthirsty. He feels nothing. Um, Just right off of his first kill, it's just like, oh, I shot a deer. Oh, I shot a guy. And it's just like, there's not much in between him for it. An enemy is an enemy. A you know, there's a, a target. There's a word for that, right? Yeah, it's like psychopath. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, like it's it's not definitely a, has a personality disorder. <laughs> yeah, no, like heavy, like heavily. Uh and then also off of that, um he doesn't um he doesn't have the exact uh skills as far as his father does as like purely living off the land. Um but one of the like the big things outside of just like hunting and scavenging um is his knowledge of mushrooms and using them uh to become like one with nature to slow his heart rate to have a better shot um so that's like kind of one of the one of the big things with him is that it's very hard for him to perform at a task without kind of that that headspace that he needs okay what's uh what's that joke about like was it like marine snipers or like uh, what do you feel when you kill somebody? And he's like, uh, uh, recoil. Recoil, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 very much like that. Uh, what, what was up with the mushroom thing at the end of the? Um, uh, I I don't drink alcohol. Okay. Uh, mushrooms are the only thing that I intoxicate myself with. Okay. Because it's the only thing that I trust. Okay. Now, yeah. now are we talking about in real life for the character? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm a violent alcoholic in real life. <laughs> I mean, I knew it. It happens. <laughs> I love how that's a question and the amount of times you've seen a bottle at this table. <laughs> you know, I get you. I think we drink. No, it's all for a joke. It's for a bit. Man. So no, terrific. Um, does it? Uh, does is there any other? I have further an questions arrow tattoo for... on my arm. <laughs> Alder has an arrow uh, tattoo. Uh, <laughs> it's very actually, important. Corey, do you have any questions for us? Yeah. Um. Well. Well. Thank you for asking. Um. I actually so considerate, Rudy. I don't care. I, <laughs> what a good boy. I actually believe. Um. Prior to this uh, actual recording session, I did ask any questions that I did have about your characters, and um, pretty much. Um, solidify myself um, so far with anything that I felt I need to know. If there is anything that comes up, I will be sure to ask you either before the uh, podcast is over or after um, the uh, next session is over. Um, Are you just going to stare at me all night? Yes. yes. All right. <laughs> you do have the prettiest eyes out Can of you all stare of at me? I want your love and affection, please. You, you can't see it. There's no I'm love and affection here. Hard. This is dark fantasy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Come on now. We're starting uh, yeah. the shit Most and of it's our only going to get daddier. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't really have a family. You realize uh, that like our group would be like a psychologist, like wet dream, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, Amazing. Um, tell me about your first kill. <laughs> Since uh, What did you feel? Like Rudy's uh, a sociopath. Like his character is like a straight up oh, sociopath. Yeah, oh, yeah. actually, could I mention one last little thing about my character? No. Sure. Thank you. Um, Corey, what was the... So, uh, um, so my character um, was helping out an associate and the associate basically wanted a pretty famous in particular art piece. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had hired some thieves to go take the piece and another person to reforge the piece. 
Um, what was the particular artwork again, Corey? The Decadence of Ravenbridge. It was a divine aristocracy's take on the incredibly expensive landmark that connected the two capitals of Gothico, which is the city of Ravenbridge, which sits upon a canyon-like divide and ravine out into the eastern ocean. They just sound like a bunch of douchebags. I'm sorry. Do you do you like dream in fantasy? Like, do, do you dream and like all this stuff just appears? Nightmares and dreams, yes, are often in this whole right, headspace. Just double checking, because <laughs> like Corey has like you have like notebooks, right, of just lore. I had I once had uh, sorry to go a little off topic here. Yes, I did once have uh, in the continent of Isla, um, as you uh, as this group has met. Uh, before there is a particular race known or not race, but a particular civilization known as Tartaria. (laughs) Um, I once, I believe filled out about three notebooks on their lore and phenomenal. That makes sense. Cause there was three books about how Tartaria had been created. Um, and just as a little side uh, sidebar, I don't think I shared with this group, the Tartarians were actually formed um, after I was playing a video game called it was one of the Souls games mm, okay. and uh, I was invading a world and there were uh, two uh, two spirits in the world that were dressed up as uh, as close as they could be to the a traditional Greek Spartan, and they just sat behind shields and poked me until I was no longer moving. Um, and then like sent me sent me uh, messages after that saying, you've been tartan Spartan. And I was like, I need to make an entire civilization out of these assholes. That's amazing. Like, Beautiful. My hate f- made an entire country. <laughs> Which is funny because that's hate is going to wipe a country off the face of the earth. So yeah. it's a, it's a real give and take with yeah. D and D for anyone that is an experience. <laughs> with the, there's a balance here. Yeah, but yeah. just just because um, just because I, I am keeping an eye on time time here. Um, yes. I think this was a good introduction uh, session to get everyone introduced uh, to the characters, yeah. as well as to the um, a little bit of lore that has happened so far in the starting of campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, so is there any final lasting questions about uh, this at all? Okay, fine. I was a uh, question I asked before. Um, how exactly, how long have, how well do we know each other? I guess is my question. Oh, that's a good and question. And kind of like, what's our uh, relationship as of the beginning of the campaign? Okay. Uh, so your relationship is actually a little scarce. Um, essentially, how you are being brought into this is by word of Pelagius. You are you are briefly going to be introduced to each other by Pelagius. Um, and allow or are allowed to actually finally after your arrival into the Noctis Occulta's secret hideout, which will be made apparent in next uh, session, you will finally be re- uh, re-released back out into Gothica on your first task for the Occulta towards a settlement that is on some dire straits itself. How exciting. This is amazing. I love that band. I'm very excited about Uh, it. I did want to say, shout out to James. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, let's shout out to our producer for giving us this uh, this option. Um, James, um, just to give him a quick plug, uh, if you haven't checked out his other podcast, 
um, specifically, um, mostly speaking Sentai. Um, he is our producer. He's the one giving us this uh, opportunity. This op- op- opportunity. Mm-hmm. This space. So we do want to sh- uh, shed some light to you know go ahead and check out his podcast with his girlfriend. Uh, it's incredible. Um, it's m- about the uh, Sentai series, uh, I believe, uh, uh, Die, Die Ranger, is that? That's the one we're talking about right now. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, so Die Ranger. It's, it, uh, I've, I've listened to a few episodes um, with yeah. a few of his guest stars, and they're, they're all great. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm actually going to be getting into the series soon Did myself. Did you yeah, refer to I, your uh, sister as a guest star? I, I will uh, never yeah. admit that to her face. <laughs> you know it's on <laughs> recording, right? She will have to bring me proof other than this audio recording. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll, thanks, I'll sign an affidavit. Yeah. Okay. For real, James, thank you again. Yeah, thank yes. you. Um, really, thank you. And honestly, the craziest part is that, yeah, I, I listen to it. I don't, I'm not even a fan of like the show. I don't even watch it, How but I was you? so intrigued just listening to you guys. So yeah, yeah even if oh, you yeah. don't watch it, I kind of want to go home now and watch it. Yeah. yeah. Definitely like not knowing anything about Sentai. Um, just listening to some of the, Mostly speaking in Sentai will definitely immediately make you yeah. want to watch yeah, it. This. Yeah, it seems uh, like my type of ridiculousness. Yeah, absolutely. But um, this was great. It was so great. Yeah, this was awesome. Yeah. Um, we did talk about doing this for a long time. For like such a, yeah. a long time. And I'm, I'm really happy we've uh, started this. So mm-hmm. here's here's to say, like, hopefully we can keep doing this um, for a longer period of time uh, when we come back on the next episode we will actually be getting the campaign started um, we'll be entered into the world of gothica we'll be off on our first mission to further the agenda of this secretive millennia old organization and for all you listeners may you rest with orcus yeah is that should we have it real it's gonna be real creepy so i have a really oh. bad idea for an outro we all just roll our dice around the mic no. That is awful that is idea. idea. I, hate, I hate every part of that. Oh, so he's not allowed to speak for the rest yeah. of the podcast. And he Rudy's won't no longer to be have joining ideas. us. Yeah. All right, guys. So <laughs> it'll be like that time where Rudy's character got killed in the first episode of one of our campaigns. That was literally oh. the worst idea before. Ever. Before we go off on a tangent again, uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, yeah, Max, appreciate it. Thank you for much, so much. For, <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for listening. Please tune in next time. Um, thank you all for watching and goodbye. Listening, 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 listening. You can just... watch with your ears. <laughs> all right. Good night, everyone. Good night.